Church, it's good to be with you this morning as I fill in for Noel, who is on vacation with his family, and I'm thankful for all those who have led us in worship so ably this morning. As Ben mentioned, we are continuing our parables sermon series, and today we're going to be looking at a very challenging, and some might even call it disturbing parable, that Jesus preaches in the last week of his earthly life. So let's set the stage a little bit. On Palm Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem to cheering crowds. And on Monday, Jesus comes back into the city, goes into the temple, and ransacks it. And he calls out the religious leaders for turning a house of prayer into a place of business. And on Tuesday, today, Jesus returns to the city returns to the same temple that he put in an uproar the day before, and he posts up there, and he begins to teach and preach to the crowds and directly debate those same religious leaders that he called out the day before. And to them, Jesus tells a series of three parables describing the kingdom of heaven, and today we're going to be looking at the third of those parables. It's a lurid an unsettling story that gives us a prophetic insight into who is welcome in the kingdom of God. So hear now the parable from Jesus that's found in Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. And again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. And those slaves went out into the streets, gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Wow. At this point, I'm wondering is it too late for me to go on vacation? But given the extremes and violence in this parable, it should probably come with a disclaimer that says no actual human beings were harmed in the making of this story. It's important to remember that in telling this parable, Jesus is not recounting an historical event. He's telling a fictional story. 
And like many other of his parables, this one uses hyperbole, exaggerated language, and images to make the point. And in this parable, maybe Jesus resorts to shocking images because in his compassion, he knows that this is his last chance to awaken the stubborn and skeptical religious leaders to the reality of who he is and how to rightly respond to him. Jesus might be lacing this story with harsh judgment to make plain that judgment belongs to God and not to them or to us. And perhaps Jesus paints a backdrop of doom to showcase the beauty of God's amazing grace. But before we dig into those questions in this very challenging parable, let's pray together. Lord, you alone are the word, and you alone have the words of, eter of eternal life. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us as we're gathered here today and speak through us as we're scattered in the world this week. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Now Jesus introduces this parable by saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. Now, the wedding feast is a familiar Old Testament image that's loaded with meaning. The prophets frequently used this image to refer to the Messianic age, when the kingdom of God would be ushered in in all of its fullness. It's an image that Jesus' Jewish listeners probably readily recognized. And in addition, earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has insinuated to these same religious leaders that he, he is the messianic bridegroom. So with this brief introduction, Jesus is connecting himself to the coming kingdom. And he's telling them that I'm the one who brings the kingdom. And using this image, the parable circles around one essential question. Who is welcome at the wedding feast? Who has a place in the eternal kingdom of God? Who belongs? And is this not one of the most foundational of all human questions? Do I have a place? Am I welcomed? Am I chosen? Am I loved? Long before we recognize this as a profound spiritual longing with eternal implications, this question has echoed through every stage and every age of our lives. Is there a place for me at the family table? Is there a seat for me in the school cafeteria? Am I invited to lunch with the people I work with? Am I welcome at that neighborhood barbecue? Am I on the list for that really important party? Jesus is showing that one of our deepest longings reveals for ultimate, reveals a yearning for ultimate belonging with God. And for the religious leaders of Jesus' day who assumed that they, of course, would be honored guests at the marriage supper of the Lamb at the end of the age, of course, they would be VIPs. This parable also contains a dire warning because Jesus himself is revealed as the decisive invitation 
of God. And so by rejecting Jesus, the religious leaders are rejecting the king's invitation. And the parable also reminds them of the evil done in Israel's history by wicked and corrupt leaders who attacked God's messengers, who attacked and killed the prophets. And it's warning them, you are putting your feet to the same path as you conspire to kill Jesus. Choices matter. Choices matter in this parable and in our lives. And by their choices, the religious leaders are excluding themselves from the kingdom banquet. They're wrapping themselves in a way of violence that will eventually consume them. They are making themselves enemies of God. And in the parable, the judgment that they have chosen, it overtakes them. But this warning is not limited to the religious people of Jesus' day. It's a warning for all religious insiders. It's a warning for the church down through the ages and across the globe. Because the parable reveals that being a religious person, being a spiritual person, being a temple person, being a church person, doesn't make you a kingdom person. Bible scholar and professor Howard Snyder notes this tension when he says, kingdom people seek first the kingdom of God. Church people often put church work above concerns of justice, mercy, and truth. Church people think about how to get folks into the church. Kingdom people think about how to get the church into the world. Church people worry that the world might change the church, but kingdom people work to see the church change the world. This parable, as old as it is, is still speaking. So let us have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. But even under this dark cloud of warning and judgment in the parable, the light of God's grace shines brightly forth because in the parable, after the initial invitation is rejected, the king then turns to his messengers and says, hey, go out into the streets and invite anybody you come across. And they gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. And this, this part of the parable, this is the really good news. Because God has invited everyone, everyone, to ultimate belonging. And the banquet invitation is made to people just as they are, good and bad, because the invitation, that rests on God's grace, not our goodness. And through Jesus Christ, God has thrown the doors of the kingdom banquet hall wide open, and whomsoever will may come. Now, throughout his ministry, Jesus has been laying the groundwork for this kind of hospitable kingdom vision by welcoming all sorts of unsavory outsiders. And in particular, Jesus has been practicing radically open table fellowship. He's been dining with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. Jesus knew that to share the table was to share sacred space because there we're not only sharing food, we're sharing our stories and we're sharing ourselves our prayers and regrets, 
our dreams and disappointments, our failures and mistakes. These Jesus meals, they were small rehearsal dinners that were pointing towards that ultimate wedding banquet to come. But the religious leaders, they feared this type of togetherness. They thought it would produce an unholy mixing of the good and the bad. They feared that sinners would contaminate the righteous. But that's not the way things seem to flow in the kingdom, is it? Because Jesus doesn't shun the sinful. He invites them. In Christ, God's transforming goodness draws near to sinful humanity. It draws near to people like us. And each week, every church is a prophetic image of this mixed banquet because we are a field full of wheat and weeds. Pastor and Bible scholar David Lewicki notes that if there are a hundred people in worship, there are a hundred and fifty different reasons for being there. Some come to honor the Lord, and some come to obey their parents. Some come because of unshakable guilt left over from childhood, or to meet a future spouse, or to keep the peace in a marriage, or to grieve. Some come because their minds light up over questions of spirit. And it's the only place that they can receive a warm embrace. It's the only place that they can be quiet without also being alone. We are good and bad, each of us in some measure. And just like the characters in the parable, we have a choice and our choices matter. And this and every community of faith is called to have doors just as wide open as God's doors and to demonstrate that kind of hospitality presented by God's messengers who go out into the street and welcome all who would come, both good and bad, to welcome people who are actually just like us. And at this point, we encounter yet another wrinkle in the parable. Because as the king enters the wedding banquet, he comes upon a guest not wearing a wedding robe. And the king confronts him, and the man is speechless. And then the king says to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. And this, it just sounds so wrong and so arbitrary, and so unjust, and so mean, that we're left speechless too. But I think it's important to clear away our modern misconceptions and even our personal takes to get at what Jesus is really saying here. Because this is not a situation where a poor wedding guest is invited to a fancy wedding and gets thrown in jail because he can't afford a tux. It's not about that. And likewise, it's also not a warning to dress your best for church or else. It's not about that either. It's not about putting on clothes at all. It's about putting on Christ. Now, this image of putting on Christ is used repeatedly in the New Testament. In the book of Colossians, for example, conversion to Christ is described as taking off the old self with its evil practices and putting on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge 
according to the image of its creator. In Galatians, we're told that when we're baptized into Christ, that we are clothed with Christ. In Romans, we're told that growing in the Lord means throwing off the works of darkness and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the parable, the unrobed guest is a wedding crasher who does not show the fruits of living as a grateful guest at the banquet of grace. And in the person of the unrobed guest, we encounter an essential tension at this kingdom banquet, that God's inviting grace is also God's changing grace. The grace that comes to us just as we are is the same grace that dramatically changes who we are. Accepting the kingdom invitation means undergoing kingdom transformation. Accepting the, event is a, accepting the invitation is an event that starts a process. As Bible scholar Richard Spaulding notes, gospel living only begins with the invitation. It cannot remain a mere idea. Its distinctive mark is a transformed life. Though many have been called, the, the few that are to be chosen are those who are living in a new way. Indeed, the only sufficient credential for kingdom citizenship is a transformed life. And if that's the case, then it's fair to ask, what does a transformed life look like? What is the ethical wardrobe for the kingdom banquet? Fortunately, Scripture gives us some details here from the book of Colossians again. When we put on Christ in our relationships, we put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Those are the character traits that come to you when you put on Christ. When we encounter difficult circumstances and difficult people, we wrap ourselves in the experience and practice of forgiveness. And above all else, we clothe ourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Pastor and author J.R. Briggs gives us a compelling practical image, sort of a modern-day parable, if you will, of what we will look like if we put on Christ in this way. His church has an intentional men's discipleship program that lasts several months. And when a new group of men complete the process, they're invited to a celebration at a restaurant. And they're told, wear a white button-down shirt that you don't mind throwing away. And then they arrive for the celebration. They arrive at a restaurant for all-you-can-eat chicken wings. Yes. And they're informed, though, that no napkins will be brought into the room at any time. The only napkins available to them are the white shirts of the men on their right and the left. And then they feast together. They laugh and eat. They tell stories and eat. They confess their wounds and mistakes, and they sing together and they pray together. And in the process of all that, they clean their hands. They clean themselves by wiping them on their neighbor's shirt. So each one ends up wearing his neighbor's mess. And that's the compelling image. 
accepting the invitation, following Jesus in community, and being transformed into his likeness, it's a holy and a messy affair. And if we do it right, we will inevitably wear the messes of others. That's what it looks like to put on Christ, who himself put on our transgressions and wore our iniquities. So yes, this parable is challenging and it's dawning, but it does give us a captivating and demanding image of the kingdom of God. Because in an amazing display of radical love, God has thrown the doors of the kingdom open wide in Christ. All are welcome, all are loved, and all are invited to ultimate and eternal belonging. So if you've never heard the invitation put that way before, I want you to hear it today and very clearly. God wants you to be there. God invites you, whether you think of yourself as good or bad, there is a seat at a kingdom banquet table with your name on it. And this wedding banquet, it's going to be the party of all eternity. And the invitation, yes, it's global and inclusive, whomsoever will may come, but it's also personally urgent and personally decisive because it prompts a destiny-altering decision and begins a life-changing process. To accept the invitation is to accept the transforming lordship of Jesus Christ. Because God's inviting grace is also God's changing grace. And the same grace that comes to us just as we are dramatically changes who we are. And here's the last thing I want you to hear. God's invitation, it's always a plus one. So if you accept the invitation, you become an inviter. So this week, do that. Invite somebody you work with out to lunch. Invite someone from your neighborhood over to your house. Invite a friend to church or an acquaintance to your Bible study or small group. Share some coffee. Share some food. Share your stories. Share your messes. And when the time is right and the Spirit leads you to do it, share the good news of God's kingdom invitation and the person of Jesus Christ. Who knows? You may end up seated next to that person at a wedding feast someday. Amen.